This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Give the Lord praise. Amen. What a joy it is to have you as a part of our Kingdom Builders missions convention. I shared with you a moment ago that there's two parts to a missions convention, to our Kingdom Builders convention. The first part is the projects, and that's what we've been focusing on in the last few weeks, and we gave you an opportunity to to continue your giving towards that. But the most important part is the second part. That's the part that we're about to talk about now, and that is the faith promise. Why is the faith promise so important is because the faith promise is what we do monthly. We make a commitment, all of us, to be a kingdom builder every month. And whatever that commitment will be, will be the very thing that enables us to send these missionaries and in all the missionaries in the brochure you got today, inside of that, and for those that are online, you can go to our Kingdom Builders page by way of your app. It has all of our missionaries, our ministries that we're supporting. It even has a little bit of what a faith promise is that you could be perusing and looking over. But the faith promise enables us to support them month after month after month. That's why it's most important. Projects are good, because it strengthens the hand and it accelerates. But we cannot have a project if we don't have the missionaries. If we don't have missionaries that are there, they're living there, they're learning the language, they're giving their lives, they're raising their families there. If we don't have the missionary there, we don't have a lasting impact that's there. So the faith promise is what helps us to support them We support ministries, we support the orphanages, we support the Bible schools, and all of the different things that you see in that brochure. We also support many of our local ministries that come along and help us to make a greater impact here locally. So today, we're going to talk about the faith promise. I ask that you'll open your heart, and as the Lord begins to speak through our speaker today, that you will participate and be a kingdom builder with us. Our speaker today, his name is John Easter. John and I have uh, been in uh, fellowship and contact with each other for a number of years. He went to the mission field in 1999 as a missionary to Africa, served a couple different terms and years in different countries in Africa. He's been serving since 1999 as an African missionary. A number of years ago, he began to lead an organization that we have in the Assemblies of God called Africa's Hope, which puts together a vision and a strategy to reach all of Africa, all of the different countries. He's been leading that and its missions force for a number of years. And so it's a joy for us. I've tried to book him in. Our schedules haven't aligned the last few years, but it's great for us to have John with us today as he comes and shares with us our challenge. Would you welcome missionary John Easter today? John, so good to have you. Welcome you. to Christian Life Center. You, God, bless you. God bless you. Well, good morning. It is great to be here. Very honored to be able to have a moment to connect with you as we all Think about this morning what God is saying to us and how we choose to align our priorities over the next year 
to be able to see his redemptive purpose extended not only in our communities but around the world. And I want to say that it's also an honor to be here because of your reputation. Because you are a church that has just been recognized by so many around our nation, whether you're aware of it or not, as being a congregation that deeply cares about world missions and your investment, your faithfulness, the generosity of this church. And let me say, you have amazing leadership in Pastor Tom and Candy who cast that vision and lead you so well. Can you say amen? And I want to say to you, Pastor Tom, thank you so much. And it's great to be with you, bud. Thank you. I am... uh, I'm very excited to be here today and share my heart with what I think and I hope is something that's fundamental for every single one of us in this room or for those of you watching by line. If we're a follower of Jesus Christ, there are certain things that we choose to prioritize. And one of those is certainly to ensure that every single individual, both in our community and around the world, whether across the street or around the world, has the ability to at least once be able to encounter the, just the grace and love of God in Christ Jesus. Can you say amen, church? I want to speak to you this morning about motives. You know, when I look at where we are today, it's interesting that just within our fellowship, we now have over 2,700 missionaries globally and worldwide in over 192 countries. Isn't that magnificent? It's phenomenal. And when you think about the outreach of that, the the impact, the footprint of that, when you consider the significance of how many souls have come into the kingdom because of the intentionality of a fellowship like ours and congregations throughout America on days like this that, that prioritize these moments to say, what can we do individually, what can we do as families, and what can we do collectively as a church to ensure that we're advancing the gospel of Jesus? And what happens is, is as you look back in history, you understand that the potential, the capacity of this becomes demonstrated in so many lives in so many nations of the world. Motives are important because they are the drivers that get us up every day and they dictate to us the decisions that we're going to make. And oftentimes I'm asked, John, what is it that motivates you? And often when I have worked for years with my family in Africa and our primary task was to grow the ability of schools to create more inlands and own ramps for students across nations of Africa to train men and women for gospel ministry and then to see those men and women go out and actually plant churches and disciple communities of faith in sometimes hostile environments you many times think about motivations. I mean, what is it like to equip students who you become close to and you marry their children and baptize their family members and then they're sent off and they are planting churches in highly Islamic, very resistant areas where some of them, even in the last 24 to 36 months, have given their life for the gospel only to see other men and women rise up and step up and take their place. And for someone like me to look at them and say, what is it that motivates them? 
What motivates those kinds of decisions, those kinds of priorities? I mean, this is a central question for all of us in this place today, including those watching online. There is this concept that theologians often refer to in Latin called the Imago Dei, and it means the image of God. And so profound is this concept in scripture that you can find it traced from Genesis to Revelation, and it often emerges with power and force, most notably as God calls his people to action in the world. It speaks to the intrinsic worth of every human being, every man, every woman, every child. The image of God, which distinguishes us What's interesting about this concept is it often inspires us. But the problem that I face, and perhaps you do as well, is that even though I know this to be a biblical truth, and it does speak to the intrinsic worth of every person, when I leave moments like this, when we are worshiping God, when we're considering what we're going to do together in a moment at the end of the service for kingdom builders, how we ourselves are going to commit towards investing in this with our prayers and our finances. We often leave these moments and encounter a world outside of these doors where that image has been twisted and marred. It has been deformed to the point in which oftentimes, many times, it's difficult to discern the image of God in other people. And if I'm not careful, if I'm not careful to guard my heart, I will allow the emotions of what I encounter on a daily basis, looking at a volatile and wounded and hurting world to be superimposed upon what I know to be scriptural truth. And before long, my heart is jaded to the very world that God calls me to embrace. Is that right? So what is it then? I mean, really, what is it then that should motivate you and me to be able to step forward and be devoted to ensuring that we're building the kingdom. I would say there's many, but three that are fundamental. And the first one is what I like to call value. Value. You see, if it's true that every single person is made in the image of God, I mean every man, woman, and child, then it means that we are all the object of God's love and desire to save and to restore that brokenness back into what God intended. It means that no matter my nationality or ethnicity or my culture or the language that I speak, my gender, my age, what I've done for good in life or bad in life, and whether I'm even aware that God exists and if he does, whether he cares about me, because we are made in his image, he loves us and we are the object of his love and desire to save and to restore our brokenness back into his redemptive purpose for our life. Hallelujah. Value. You see, value then becomes the lens by which God calls me to see you and to view the world. It becomes the way in which I understand that what God values, I must value. What God loves, the church is called to love. Value. 
But if value is important, the second may be more so. And this is what I like to call capacity. You see, if it's really true that every person is made in God's image and therefore we are the object of his love and desire to save and restore our brokenness back into what he intended, then it also means that every individual made in his image has been uniquely created by God, designed by God to have the ability, the capacity to respond to his grace when we first hear the gospel and forever be changed by his love. Hallelujah. You see, capacity then means that no matter my nationality or ethnicity or culture or the language that I speak, my gender, my age, what I've done for good in life or bad in life, and whether I even acknowledge that God exists, that because we are made in his image, we have within us, whether we're even aware of it or not, the capacity to respond to the gospel and say yes to his grace and forever be transformed by his power and by his might. Then it means that no matter I whether I speak Chichewa or Timbuka or Ngoni or Kiswahili or Afan Oromo or Amharic or Lingala, or whether I find myself walking the dusty trails of Dodoma, Tanzania, or kneeling in a mosque in Tehran, or finding myself being able to walk through the inner layers of the inner cities of the old Cairo or I find myself driving to, driving to church this morning right here in Fort Lauderdale. And it doesn't matter, you see, whether I'd like to be able to eat in Gali or in Sema, or I suck the head of a weird creature by a tribe down in Louisiana, or I like key lime pie, as a good Floridian would do. That because I'm made in his image, He loves me. And I am the object of his love and desire to restore my brokenness. And deep inside of me, I have the capacity to exercise that by faith and be transformed by his grace. I mean, come on, let's just be real for a moment. Let's lay our cards on the table. I mean, if you didn't believe capacity, why in the world would you come this morning? I mean, why turn on the lights? Why go through the practice? Why give in the offering? Why be able to have a moment for kingdom builders, faith promises, where we together decide that we're going to do something about this? I mean, why would we go through the motions if after all, if it's a roll of the dice, if it's by chance that perhaps you can come to Christ, but we're not so sure about you? Your background is suspect to us. But your pedigree, well, you look okay. I mean, after all, if we're not sure, then how confident are you going to be to be able to involve yourself in anyone else's life? Because if I don't believe, if I really don't believe in capacity, if I don't believe that every single person is a candidate for God's grace, then there will be self-limitations I impose on my own life as to how much I involve myself in your life much less anyone else that I have never met. But if I believe in capacity 
If I believe that everyone is a candidate for God's grace because they've been designed by God to receive and be transformed by his love, then there is no limitation to which I am willing to go, to give, to pray, to involve myself, whether across the street or around the world, to ensure that at least one time every person has the ability, the opportunity to receive a meaningful witness to who he is and how much he loves them. I mean, that's why we go to places like India and hold children in our arms who are too malnourished to, to stand on their own two feet, but we feed them. It is why people like me equip men and women for two decades to send our best and brightest into very difficult places to plant the church and some of whom give their lives. It is why we are willing to be able to have the kind of feeding programs that we have in our world, why we're willing to plant the church, why we're willing to show God's love and compassion. This is exactly why we do the projects that Pastor Tom gives you for kingdom builders. Because we have come to the point in which we recognize, you see, we recognize that every person is a candidate. Because if God can change you, and he can change me, he can change anybody. Let me introduce you to a friend of mine to demonstrate this. In this photo, you may not see his face because he's around the corner. But in this group of students, we have individuals who over their years have given themselves to full-time ministry. Individuals who speak three, four languages, who are incredibly bright, who had other opportunities, but decided to take another path in order to give their entirety of their time for gospel ministry. When Cheryl and I first moved to Africa over 22 years ago, we were asked to begin a training institution Today, it runs into the hundreds. At that time, when we began that school, what was interesting is that we began with establishing that in Malawi, and then it went from Southern Africa, and then went to the continent of the 54 nations. We had students at any given time from 16 to 18 that would represent the student body in that school. Then they came from the UK and from Canada and the United States, and some, some came from Asia and to protect his identity, I'll call him Saeed. Saeed came from Pakistan. And through a time of rigorous study for three years, he committed himself. He would only go back to see his wife and his two children, his two daughters, one month out of each of those three years. He was faithful. A spirit of humility, he just had this amazing passion having come out of a background where someone had the courage to share Christ with him and his parents that now he had the same opportunity. And when he graduated, he went back to his family in this large southern city in that nation and six months they had time with one another and during that time he was praying and considering where God would be sending he and his wife and two daughters and so when God spoke to him it was to a region in the north several hours and so they began to plan 
And the day after six months had closed, they went to the train depot. They were there. They had prayer with extended family and got on that train. And several hours to the north, they went. And by foot, they got out and walked several kilometers and met with religious leaders and tribal leaders and had permission to stay and live among them. But they were marginalized and persecuted immediately, maltreated, but they were faithful and continued to reach out. And just two to two and a half years within that ministry of showing love and compassion to the people within that region, they had led over 200 people for the very first time to Jesus Christ. And this began to build and there was the sense of momentum and even though the persecuted began to increase with the amount of individuals that came to Christ, that they felt as though God had placed them just where he wanted them. And, and I remember that well into that ministry, I was in Miami and I was speaking at a conference and this was, this was just about three years ago. And I came off of the platform and through the back and there was an Uber waiting for me and I started going to the airport, getting ready to fly back to Malawi where I was already scheduled to teach a course. And I remember that my phone began to buzz and I looked at it and another student of mine, someone very close to me and my wife began to write and he said, Dr. Easter, you should know. And all of a sudden my heart began to drop. And he said, last week during a Sunday service, these men in the community came in and they were already angry about so many others coming to Christ within this region. And without explanation, in the middle of a service, they, they ended up taking the men and the women sitting on the floor and the women up front and becoming violent with them. And then they took Saeed and threw him on his back just to humiliate him, drug him out in front of his newly planted congregation. And other men had assembled outside waiting and they threw him in the middle of those men and they immediately began to punch him and kick him in his head and his back and his gut until Saeed fell to the ground. And they continued to beat him until he began to bleed profusely. And that blood began to mix with that dirt and cake on his body and they beat him until he was no longer moving. And by eyewitnesses, they continued to beat him. And in the midst of all of that violence, even this incredible sense of uncertainty of their futures, the people in the congregation just begin to scatter and hide. And honestly, can you blame them? But they had the presence of mind to take his wife and two young daughters and put them in hiding. And, and after they stopped beating Saeed, the men, they just began to go back to the village area. And just two men, only two of them that he had poured his life into had the courage to go back to retrieve his body thinking that he was dead. And when one of them knelt down, he felt his chest and found that Saeed was still breathing. So he put Saeed on his shoulder and those two men tried to go undetected several kilometers back to that same train station, that depot that had brought them there. And then others brought Saeed's wife and two young daughters and they accompanied them several hours down to the south where they put Saeed in a hospital where he stayed for nearly six months because of his internal wounds. And when he was released, within one week, one week, Saeed took his wife and two young daughters 
He had his two aging parents and extended family with him and they had prayer and they got back on that train at that train depot and several hours to the north they went back and by foot walked right back into that region where they are still there to this day. Isn't that amazing? And during that time, there was this moment of holding our breath. And friends of mine and students would say, Dr. Easter, is he okay? I mean, is he emotionally all right? And what Saeed said to me is, is John, he said, you see, if we can go for the first time where these people had known, known Jesus, and just over two years lead over 200 families to Christ, perhaps, perhaps if we go back and we stay, if we give our lives among them, perhaps the whole village will come to Jesus. Capacity. You see, capacity drives us beyond what we would normally do, beyond our comfort zone. It is what allows you to consider crossing the street in your neighborhood, to be able to embody the values of the kingdom, to share your testimony. It allows you to step forward in faith and to obey the voice of the Holy Spirit when he tells you to be able to contribute to kingdom builders. So it allows you to understand the significance of God's redemptive purpose among all peoples everywhere. It's what gives you confidence to continue praying and not giving up on the children and grandchildren that seem to abandon the faith that you hold so dear. To be able to continue in your own community to love people and see them as having value and capacity even when you know that drugs have twisted their life and their minds and their emotions but you know there's still a candidate. There's still a candidate for God's grace. It is what allows us to continue doing what we do in the church despite the world that is completely molded in a sense of being unpredictable and wounded. And yet we as the church continue to be God's instrument of grace and light. Because once again, if he can change us, he can change the world. Capacity. But if value and capacity are important, the third may be what it's all about. And I like to call this significance. You see, if value is true and therefore we're the object of God's love and desire to save and to be able to store this brokenness back into what he intends redemptively for our lives, and therefore we are created, designed uniquely to have the capacity to respond to his grace and say yes to his love, then it also means that every individual made in his image in this room and watching online from any ethnicity and nation and culture and language that for all of us made in his image that we are now created, we have been created to have significance not just in a life thereafter but in this life. Because as is often quoted, God did not just simply save us from something, he has saved us for something. Let me demonstrate it through the life of a friend of mine. Actually, two of them. In this photo, you will see in the blue shirt, 
Someone who was raised in the very same village as the man standing beside him whose face is shrouded in this traditional garb. Being raised on the Somali border in the horn of East Africa, these individuals had two different spiritual paths. One of them came to know Jesus as a young man because someone in his community saw him as having value and capacity. And that so transformed his life that when he became a believer, he was discipled and called into ministry. And our friend in this blue shirt ended up going to Addis Ababa to Bible school, earning his baccalaureate. Then he planted a church and then decided to plant another church and another church and then decided to plant a fourth church. And when he did that, leadership saw God using him in such an instrumental way that they placed their hands on him and made him the evangelism director of the nation. But our other brother, whose face is shrouded in this traditional garb, ended up being radicalized among the Oromo Muslims along that Somali border. And within all the tribal conflict that seems to define this area and region of our world, he became someone that was violent and suspicious of the world he ended up having this reputation and they put him over two mosques for spiritual guidance as this imam. And not long before you see me in this photo praying for them, what had happened and transpired is, is that our evangelism director decided to go back to his village where he had been raised, where his aging parents still lived and his extended family to check on their well-being. And as he did, well, word came to the ears of this imam raised in the same village as a boy with this evangelism director. And he decided he would take men in the area and that they were going to take the life of our evangelism director just to send a message as a terror or a weapon of terror to the rest of the community that this is what happens when you become a follower of Jesus. And so when that day came, that's exactly what began to transpire coming to the moment in which he came around a corner, our evangelism director saw his aging parents and his extended family coming out to greet him. And before long though, he noticed that men on his right side and left side and behind him began to come up quickly. Surrounding him, they began to throw rocks and stones. And all of a sudden, it became a violent moment where in the midst of that dust and the yelling and the screaming, and their intentions to kill him, this imam was leading that group. And after he had thrown his first stone and was screaming and cursing, all of a sudden, in his words, he said, I had a moment where this emotional, traumatic feeling came over me. And all of a sudden, I found myself no longer screaming at the evangelism director. I was screaming at the very men I had assembled to carry out and perpetrate this activity. And I turned around and began to run without warning to the other side of the village. And he said, in the heat of the day, I crawled into my boma and sat there. And all of a sudden, I fell asleep. And he said to me, I do not know if I had a vision or a dream. But what I do know is I encountered Isa." which is the name for Jesus. And he said, something began to happen in my heart and life. And when I came to myself, I crawled out and I had my face in the dirt. And he said, as a man who does not, who does not like to show weakness, 
He said, I was broken. And he said, and all of a sudden I began to panic. I had fear. And when I stood up to my feet, he said, I was fearful that the evangelism director was running and had already escaped. And he said, I began to run to the other side. And when I found that evangelism director, he was sitting down having coffee with his parents. And I fell to his feet and said, please forgive me. I told him what we intended and why. And then I stood up and looked him in the eyes and said, now teach me more about Esau. And on that day, this evangelism director led this religious imam to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. But that's, that's not where the story stopped. Because God had more in mind for this radical violent imam he saved him on that day but what transpired was is that this religious imam became part of a local assemblies of god church he was discipled and within a year and a half felt called to ministry on the day you see me praying for him he started his first classes at an extension school in Dawa. he's a bible school student now can you say amen And already before having graduated, my other friend has said, John, he's already planted two churches and he hasn't even finished school. Significance. Significance. You see, it doesn't matter if you're here today or watching by line and you're a dental hygienist a plumber, a craftsman. If you happen to be a school teacher, primary caretaker of your family. If you're a professional and a businessman or if you just work on a factory floor, show up faithfully, living life, that wherever God has placed you, whatever seems to define you, That God sees you through a certain lens. Number one, it's that you have value. Because you were made in his image. And secondly, he has made you a candidate of his grace to transform you into his intended purposes. Because whether you're aware of it or not, he has designed you with capacity. In order for you to have significance. Not just to be a receiver of his grace, but someone that now can also share his grace. I'm going to sing a song for you now before I close and after I do, Pastor Tom will never invite me back here again. (laughs) When I had the text message from my student from South Africa in the Middle East telling me what happened to Saeed, I landed in Lilongwe, About 36, 42 hours later, the next morning I walked into a class, U-shaped, 16 students, amazing, amazing people. And in the middle was Gideon Bonda, 6'3", 220 pounds, and he stands up and says, Dr. Easter, can I say something? And I said, sure. And he stood up and began to talk, and then he stopped because He became very emotional. Tears were running down his face and he decided to compose himself. This is a strong man. And when he took a moment, he looked at me and said, we heard about Saeed. 
He said, you know, all my life I had nothing to my name until when I was older, someone had the courage to share Jesus with me. And that testimony was so powerful because I knew that man. I knew that man from a former life. And he said, and I knew that if God could change him, he could change me. And he said, and I've never been the same. And he said, and here I am today. Here I am prepared to plant God's church And he said, send me to the hard place. I'll go. And before he could sit down, a young man lifted himself up by Gideon's arm and pivoted and looked at me and said, no. He said, send me. Me and my wife will go. He said, I've had nothing compared to the world's standards, but everything I have is because of what Jesus has done for me. And before he could stop speaking, all of a sudden, this room began to move. And all 16 were standing on their feet. The class hasn't started. Their hands are in the air, tears coming down their face. And all of them are in unison are saying, oh God, send us and we will be faithful. And we began to sing this song as the Spirit of God was moving in that moment. And Chichewa, we began to sing Mulungu, Angate, Angate, Angate Mulungu, Angate Sale Perasona, Mulungu, Angate, Angate, Angate Mulungu, Angate Sale Perasona. God can do anything, anytime, anywhere. God can do anything. He never fails. You see, God never fails. He never fails. Recently, I was in this room. My adult children, my four little grandchildren. And as a family, we had this moment like this to give. And all my life, you know, Cheryl and I have been married for quite a while and been raised in this environment and I looked at my kids who I raised in Africa and my grandkids and I told Charles said we must be very intentional since Cheryl and I became missionaries the first time day we were appointed we adopted another missionary to financially support it was just important to us to model and if we were going to if we were going to speak about missions giving then we were going to participate in missions giving and God has been so faithful throughout the years I mean we've been through hijackings and almost lost children and not so good stuff and I've never seen God forsake us 
And the deeper we get with God and what he intends for our lives, the more he proves himself to us. You're on safe ground to take bold steps in faith. And one of the things that I want for my children and grandchildren, which they are now modeling, even our grandchildren, is to think about on their level where they are, what can they do, what can they give? And we have an opportunity as we come to this moment right now, this is our altar call, to consider two things. The first one is this, number one, our heart. If God has our heart and he has us, then he has the ability to speak into our decision-making, our affections, our emotions, our resources. And secondly then, to consider what is it that God is asking us to do, whether here or watching online. What is it right now that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about? What can you be more intentional about to align the priorities of your life, including your resources, to invest generously and with joy to ensure that every individual in your community and around the world has an adequate witness of God's love? And when I think of a faith promise, when I think about kingdom builders, I first think of this amazing opportunity that I have, my family has, that you have to be able to say, oh God, whatever we've done before, allow me to see your, your miracles at work as I decide that I'm going to trust you to go beyond even perhaps what might, might be my abilities to see your hand at work and to see something marvelous transpire. And my prayer for you today is, number one, oh, that God would draw your hearts. Because if you were here and you were struggling with your self-worth, because you would say, John, it's one thing to think about value in terms of others, but you don't know me, you don't know my life, you don't know what I've done, you don't have no clue of the disappointments. Well, God does, and his value on your life has not changed. You're made in his image. And what you can do is just lean in to the capacity he's placed inside of you. And if you will trust him, he will turn those disappointments back into what are his redemptive purpose for your life. And if you're here this morning or watching online, that is your first step. It's to yield your heart and your life to Jesus and say, Lord, here I am. I give him a heart. And secondly, for all of us in this room, we are now at the moment to say, Lord, we want to see something miraculous transpire. We want to see this moment where we say, oh God, by your provision, we are going to be faithful to give in ways that if I have done a certain amount in the past, Lord, perhaps you're speaking to me about increasing that. Because in the end, it's really not about resource, but that is exactly what God's asking for in this moment. He's saying, what is it that you are willing to do to align your resource this moment 
to be able to fill out a faith promise to say, oh God. Because if Saeed and his wife and two girls can get back on a train and walk by foot in a village, what can you do? And if a radical, violent Islam, Imam from Diradawa, can surrender his life and become a modern day Paul, what can you do? Thank you, Christian life. Thank you for your faithfulness. Amen. Thank you, John. What a powerful, powerful word. Well, church, this is our moment. This is our time where we get to make our faith promise. So our missionary has already shared with you a faith promise is a partnership with God. It's really a love letter to the lost. It's a partnership with the Lord and what God would do through us to send missionaries, to continue to support the orphanages, continue to support the Bible schools, all that we do month after month after month. Paul was writing about really what we call the faith promise principle in 2 Corinthians. In chapter 8 and verse 3, he's talking about the church of Macedonia. They gave as much as they were able and they gave beyond their ability. The beautiful thing about a faith promise is everyone can participate because all it takes is faith. That's all it takes. And we all have faith. We're here today because we have faith. And with faith, we can say, God, what do I have within my ability? What am I able to do month after month after month? It's above your tithe. It's not to take your tithe and move it over and and make that now your faith promise. No, your kingdom builder faith promise is above the tithe. The tithe's the starting point. But all through scripture, you see that they brought their tithe and their offering. For us, the offering is the kingdom builders. It's to support missionaries. It's to be a missions organization. Not only do we support these missionaries, we have our own missionaries that we have sent out from our church. We've got the De Silvas that are in the Cayman Islands, Rebecca that's in the Cayman Islands. We introduced to you today Maribel that's going to Spain, and we have another young man, Richard, that's going to be going into Argentina. We have, we have missionaries that we're sending out, and we're helping to support them. That's through the faith promise. That's what enables us to do that, is that we partner with them. Now, what do you mean, what's in my ability? Well, you already have it. It just requires maybe a little sacrifice. Maybe it's, maybe it's to say I'm, I'm, I'm going to do a little less of something or I'm just going to rearrange my budget a little bit. It's in your ability. Now, the faith part of it is he says they, they gave what they were able and then even beyond what they were able. That's stepping now into a realm of faith saying, okay, it's not something I have in my budget. It's not what I know I can do, but it's going to require faith to do it. Now, that's where we want you to start is here, what you're able to do. But I need you today to step into the realm of faith. So what do you know you can do? $10 a week? Okay, I I, I can do that. But to say $25 a week, now that's going to take some faith. That's where I want you to get to today is to stretch your faith. I want everyone to do something. Start with what you know you can do. 
but stretch your faith. If you'll stretch, go beyond, as our missionary said, beyond what you did last year, beyond what you know your budget will enable you to do, you'll be stepping into this realm of faith promise. Now, the promise part of this is, okay, in faith, I believe, God, that you'll provide it, and I promise that when you give it, I'm giving it back to you. It's a covenant with me and you. So the church is not asking for a pledge. We won't come back and, 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 and say, hey, you made this commitment and you've not fulfilled the commitment. I don't even look at them. Someone in our business office will tally it. It's important to do it because it helps us, first of all, to know what do we commit to these missionaries and new missionaries. So I need to know what are we believing for? What are we going to do? But it's also something for you to make that commitment. You need to make that commitment. You need to take that card. You need to get the receipt back if you do it digitally. You need to know in my heart, I've made a commitment. But you've stepped in faith, and as God provides it, you release it. So my, my request, my goal is that everybody does something. Start somewhere. Everyone do something. A couple years ago, I was in a moment uh, like this. I was in the, in, the, in the service. It was a faith promise a moment. And what we were doing monthly, I, I felt like it was a good faith promise. I really felt like it was good. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, what you've been doing monthly, I want you to start doing weekly. And I went, whoa. Now, if you've ever been in a moment like that, you kind of just shake it off, right? You, you know, almost acting like you didn't hear the Lord, right? But the Lord would not let me go. It was, it was, a, it was a weight on my spirit. I knew it was the Lord. It was a burden. It was, a, it was there. I knew it was God. I knew I needed to do something, and I knew he wanted me to do it weekly. So I took what we were doing monthly, and I made the commitment that it would be weekly. Now, can I tell you, our giving shot up that year because I automated it. I said, the only way this is going to happen, <laughs> I'm going to spend it. I'm going to automate it. So I made it automated. I made it reoccurring. I made it be the first thing that happened every Sunday morning. I knew it took place. And at the end of the year, I looked back, and it was like, wow. And what my wow was about is I didn't miss it. It went out, it went out week after week. It was happening and I didn't even miss it. And boy, it comes back to the principle. What we give God, God replenishes. What you give God, you'll never miss it. But what you give God, he can use it for the kingdom. And man, I, the next year, I think this is our third year. And I sat there, John, as you were uh, sharing and I went ahead and made our commitment. It's weekly. I increased it. John, a funny thing is a few weeks ago, my wife and I were preaching our missions convention at our home church. I was calling for faith promises and my wife was putting a faith promise into their bucket. And I was like, what are you doing? We're getting their faith promises. And she said, no, the Lord laid it on my heart to give a faith promise. And I gotta be honest, I sat over there and I started calculating. Okay, well, she's already made that faith promise. And I know what I've done in the past. I don't need to increase it. And John, I got to tell you, the Lord said, no, no, no. What she did over there has nothing to do with you and Christian Life Center. You're going to increase your giving. And so I, I've already sent mine away. I already did it. Candy's going to fulfill hers. I'll do mine. No, we share the finances. It's together, but we increased. What am I saying? Is stretch. Do something, but you got to stretch. Stretch. Those of you that have given year after year, stretch. 
For those of you that have never done a King, Kingdom Builders uh, faith promise, today by just making a faith promise will be a stretch. But do something. Man, when you look at this card or when you go digitally online, you'll see $10 a week. I can do that. Most of us, most of us probably could do that with a little bit of maybe sacrifice. We could probably do that. But man, at the end of the year, I did the math. I did the math. Pastor Nadine, I did the math. And I, and I, I couldn't help it. I just had to dream a little bit. If everyone did just $10 a week, and there's so many that can do so much more, but it's just everyone did something. We did $10 a week. We would more than double, almost triple our missions giving, which is not about the dollars, but it's about the impact that we get to make. And if we are truly in the last days, then we've got to be about the Lord's business and we've got to do what God wants us to do. And so, man, let's stretch. Let's stretch. $10 a week, whatever the Lord will lay on your heart. Maybe it's $25 a week. Maybe it's $100 a week. Maybe through your business, you want to stretch it. I was with a businessman the other day, and he says, God led me last year to increase my missions giving from $1,000 a month to $2,000 a month. Woo, Jesus. Yeah, we're going to make an impact. Why? Because I know that when it comes in, it's going out into the harvest, and God has blessed his business. I don't know how God, will re, 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 how God will release it, but I know that the faith part enables God to move, and then we release it. And when we do, it builds the kingdom. Now, for those of you that are in person, you have a card. You can take that card, and you can use the card. You can fill that out if you haven't already, and then uh, write in what you're making, and then just uh, rip it off. You'll put the bigger one into the basket as it'll come a moment from now. Uh, you can drop it, and the little uh, portion will just be a reminder for you. For many of you that are giving digitally for our online family, this is how I did mine a few minutes ago. Up on the, uh, uh, up on the uh, during the service, I, I, I did this as I pulled up the app, and on the app you've got a place there where it says Kingdom Builders. I clicked that. It says Faith Promise. I clicked that, and it brought me right to Faith Promise Online. I clicked that. Now this QR code is going to get you there really fast, and then I just filled it out and I made what my faith promise was. So I did mine digitally a moment ago, and it immediately shot me back an email of what my commitment was. So everybody can participate in person, online. You can participate. And at this moment, we're gonna receive the faith promise. So Father, the word has gone forth. I believe you spoke into our heart. The challenge is there. Father, nobody's being... Uh, nobody's being forced to give out of compulsion, but God, we're being compelled by the Spirit. And as you compel us in this moment, we participate. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, even thousands today, will make their faith promise through Christian Life Center. And as we do, it'll make an impact around the world. We're working faithfully, Lord. You're anointing and empowering us to be the lighthouse here in South Florida. But you've called us to let that light shine around the world. So Father, we say here we are. As you provide, we will release. As you anoint, as you give, we will, we will be your channel. The conduit of what you wanna do flow through us, oh God. 
flow, flow through every business owner, every business that's represented in Christian Life Center. Father, each person that's in sales, let this be the biggest and greatest year that they've had. Father, for people that are making, for the very first time, faith promises today, I pray within 30 days that God, it'll come back to them and they'll link it to this moment that they made a faith promise and that you provided faith. Our faith touched you and you provided. And as you do, we promise, we covenant with you to release it to the work of the kingdom. So in this moment, I pray now, God, that what is done will literally make an impact around the world in your name. Amen and amen. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.